themselves and 360 the world. Jamie Neal, the host, asks many questions about their mindset and how they fundamentally operate their world and the world around them. We're supported by General Assembly and that's right, you can get a 25% discount for their services. Promo code is 360yourself25. The code will be valid up to £75 off any one of their classes, workshops and boot camps and is valid until the 31st 08 2021 and is not applicable to GA's full-time, part-time or online circuit courses. Full T's and C's apply. Here at 360 Yourself, we are very proud and honoured to be partnered with General Assembly. We embrace this with open arms to a new adventure. General Assembly is a global tech education company focused on the most in-demand areas today. So that's anything from UX, digital marketing, coding, data science, data analytics, to travel writing and ethics. Our slash their main goal is to get you where you want to be. You can find out more about them at ga.co online or across all socials at ga underscore London. We also encourage you to please rate and comment about us on Apple Podcasts. If you do enjoy what we bring to your ears, we'd love to hear about it. Hello, welcome back to 360 Yourself. I hope you're having a good morning, good afternoon or good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Jamie Neal. I'm the host for you. Welcome back. Um, so again, I love doing these little introductions because I get to talk about things that are, are being in my space or things that I've thought about recently. Um, and one of the conversations that we had uh, with this next guest was about being an artist or designer of your life. Like if you are lucky enough to work in the creative sector, um, you are highly creative all the time. And I believe that creativity um, can infiltrate not just creative jobs but any job in, in general so whether you are a lawyer you're accountant i believe there's an element of creativity that goes into your work and basically creativity is a problem solver and you have to be creative to be a problem solver so when a brain surgeon has to do do whatever they have to do and they have to solve a problem within their work they have to use a bit of creativity same thing for a lawyer when they come up with a case and they have to crack a, a problem they've got to use creativity to do it and so what we were talking about is about the artist and designer of your life. Like within your career, you design and you create your world. And it's the same thing about your own personal life. You have to, you be your own artist for your canvas and you design the, the world that you want to operate in. So you design like how you want to best fit in with your friends. You decide who your friends are. You decide 
where you want to live, your environment, everything, that sort of thing. And you're curating and you're designing the colors, the way that you, you, the way you operate, the way that you dress. And I think it's really important for people to understand that you are the only person that can do that. You can, you can, can curate your life effectively how you want to. It's No one else controls the way that you want to control your own life and the way that you want to see your life. So I think everyone needs to be basically more of a curated person and more of an artist about how they they see themselves and how they want their life to be. Well, I mean, what is your canvas? What does your canvas look like? And if you want to work in a certain country, you want to have certain furniture, you want to buy certain clothing, do it. That's how you want to live your life. So be an artist, not just of your career, but also of your life. Um, so moving on then. So from this conversation, um, I had this with our guest called Toby Tompkins, who's the founder and senior colorist for Cheap, which is what an amazing big uh, company that basically do color grading and coloring for commercials, music videos. They work, they work on the biggest projects around. And, and basically color grading is something that we do in post-production. So when you see um, a final product of a, a video, for instance, or even like a still image, it's gone through a round of different processes. So it's gone through the editing process. It might do a VFX sort of process. And then what happens is it goes to a colorist. And so the color is a bit grainy, so how they shoot it. And then basically a colorist will pick things up. So it might pick up the grass or it might, it just gives you a bit of a sense of feel. So it might be like a 1960s feel or like a more futuristic feel. So the basically that's what a colorist do. And they're one of the best in the industry. So do check out Cheat's work and also Toby's work. So I hope you enjoy uh, the conversation that we had with Toby because I really enjoyed it. So enjoy. Hey Toby, how are you doing? How is your day going? Yeah, good. I'm sat in my grading suite, so it's my sort of second home away from home. So is, is, is your grading suite at home, or is it is it actually in it's your office? No, it's it, it's actually just by London Fields. Um, okay. We've only got the colorists and the assists in, and occasionally a producer will, will pop in just to mm -hmm. just to see us all. Really, um, we were working remotely for a while. Um, and then we moved back into the office, or I think it was around September time last year with a sort of skeleton crew on site and anyone that can work from home has been um, and sort of where possible, everyone has their own room. So that's really about, cool. about as safe as we can make it. Because, because obviously I'm assuming, because I've been talking to a lot of different editors and, and colorists and some people who are working for these, some, some of these companies are really eager to get back into the office. But they've a lot of people have been chatting about saying it's so easy now to work from home, but only certain clients will want to be there in person. Um, is that also the case for you? Is it like just depending on the client, you'll go into the office, but most of the time it will be done at home? Um, it's pretty much always done at the office. Um, it's it's more about the sort of environment and the setup here and the sort of repeatability of it that you uh -huh. just you couldn't really get at home without building a, a dedicated home grading suite which is a bit of bit of an ask from my colorist staff um you know the the, the gray walls the bias lighting the reference monitors all of that stuff just means when when the colorists are sat here they're they're in a place that is sort of controlled and you know accurate and all of those things plus 
working off of shared storage, working as a team, working with the assists, sending files to producers. Once you start separating that out to different geographical locations, there's obviously a slight time delay. And it's not a lot, it worked. You know, when we had to do it, it absolutely worked as a solution. It's just not the most efficient way of, of, of working together as a team. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you and being in London Fields must be such a brilliant like, location because obviously most people, okay, most most clients or creative people are based in East anyway. So, and also you've got the, the food market right there as well. So it just be a great for lunch times as well just to go out and and not see a screen for a second and just go to the market and go to yeah well it's, i mean it's 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 funny you say that because we a lot of colorists will, will sort of work through their lunch especially in soho they'll occasionally get to go out um but mostly it's a case of sort of ordering from the restaurants in um at cheat we we build in an hour lunch break for the colorists to go out with the clients and have lunch outside or take them to a restaurant on broadway market yeah, um, and it, I, I think it actually speeds up the work in the afternoon. You don't get that sort of afternoon lull. For sure, yeah. Smell of sushi or whatever for the whole afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Um, which you know, when you're in, it's fine. But you know, you go outside for a minute and you come back in the afternoon, and the, the sweet just sort of yeah reeks of food. It's not it's not it's not best for the sort of creative juices to be flowing. For sure. So what I want to know is, how did it all start for you? Like. I'm really fascinated with people, how they stumble into their roles. Like, for instance, uh, focus pullers, like people who don't know who a focus puller is. It's someone who basically focuses the, uh, the, the, the picture, the frame that we're seeing when we're, when we're shooting. And so I'm like, and these are such a very unique roles. And I, I always wondered going, do these people grow up going, you know what, I want to be a focus puller. Um, is the same thing for you as a colorist or did you fall into it? How did it happen? There was, there was an element of discovery to it. So I, I went to film school, um, went to, to Bournemouth, which is which was fantastic. Um, and so my my uncle and my dad work in the film industry. My uncle sadly passed away last year. Um, I'm sorry. Alan, Alan Tompkins and, you know, working on, on things like Star Wars and, and Band of Brothers and Oh wow, some big so, stuff. Yeah, yeah. My my cousin, who's who's older than me, um, also in the art department. So a lot of exposure to the art department on films when I was a kid. But I wanted to learn more about the rest of filmmaking, so I went to film school. Fell in love with editing and post. I loved VFX. I loved the sort of the magic of it, the wizardry. But I really liked editing. I really liked being part of you know such an integral part of the, the storytelling process and, and and conveying that and manipulating that and then in the second year or maybe the end of the first year I, I kind of discovered color grading um and I absolutely fell in love with it like I was a big fan of digitally manipulating images and playing around in photoshop and mm. you know I had a few sort of accounts online for photoshop challenges and stuff love it um, I, I just gravitated towards it and it was that perfect blend of, you know, the magic of VFX, the mystique, the smoke and mirrors mm. with the, you know, tying that into being more involved with the storytelling process and what, what you can do with colour in that front. And mm. as a VFX artist, you know, you, you, if you work on these bigger and bigger productions, you, you become a, a small cog in a very big machine. So you kind of lose that direct impact with the work to some extent. 
Um, so, I mean, that sounds quite narcissistic, doesn't it? But <laughs> it really, I was really excited by the fact that there was one person, the colorist, who had that much influence and was really only dealing with the director or the director of photography and having that sort of that impact and the immediacy of it as well. You know, with VFX, it's it takes time and you're you're testing things, you're rendering things, you're trying things out. With color grading, it's very much a live process. Mm. And it's it's also, you know, non-linear, non-destructive. And that combination of this sort of live tactical feeling, like using your hands to change colors on screen and the immediacy of it and the impact of it. Once I started color grading, within about six months, it was all I was doing. Uh, um, and I really specialized sort of second year of film school just in color grading. Obviously, I still did a bit of editing and stuff for the course, but I knew from that point on, this is what I wanted to do with my life. That's good. Because people who don't know what color grading is, how would you best describe what it is? Like, what do you do as, as a job? Like, after um, I know. Yeah, I, 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 I like to say that I'm a human Instagram filter. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I tried to explain to my mother the other day about like, just to let you know, this is not graded. And she's like, what's graded? And I was like, well, basically what you're seeing now is not what it's going to see. Like when you, if you, a grader will pick certain colors out or they'll just like make things like contrast goes down and up and stuff. And so it's, it's quite difficult to explain sometimes to someone who's not in the film world what color grading is and the difference on how... Uh, what the difference is so give me an example like what is a co good color grader and what's not so great as a, a co color grader like what is the difference between someone who's good and what's not good that's, that's a big question i think i think because is, is it is it, is it subjective like i think it's very subjective i think it's one of the most subjective things you can do i mean i think you can say that about almost any create you know truly creative field yeah um it's highly subjective and everyone's experience of color is their own. The way that we see color, the way that our brain actually creates color from what our eyes sees is independent to every single individual based off of their previous experience. So it is inherently subjective. Um, I, would, I would say excellence is in nuance and in, to some extent, uh, restraint in what we do. Um, I, I think the best colorists out there create a feeling and a mood and a, and a universe for each project, but you never really feel the grade. You don't notice the grade. It's part of something greater. It's mm, a good way to explain it. That's a good way. Because I, I, I don't obviously, I don't know if you know, but like there's different communities and cultures. A friend of mine, we did a PhD in color at a university a couple of years ago. And he was talking about how we perceive color in different communities, like within like some parts of America, in Africa. Different amounts of words, yeah. Yeah, so how does that work with you? Do, is that something you're quite conscious of then when you're working on a, a particular, um, uh, I don't know what you call it, particular project that has a certain sensibility to it or because obviously it's very different to doing like a fashion film, which is not so much or can be not as complex as like a, a short film, for instance, where it's kind of layered, maybe, mm. depending on depending on what the fashion film and who's directing it. But is that sort of a conscious thing as well? Like what where's the audience 
and where is it going? What sort of colours will resonate and what won't, won't resonate? Yeah, I think colour psychology plays a huge part in what we do. I think sometimes people get a bit too wrapped up in it. You know, I think it's, it's because it's so, because colour is so subjective to everyone. You know, I mean, for example, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of sort of dark greens, dark, rich greens. And the only reason that I love them so much, I think, is because my dad's got a vintage car in that colour. So there's like a personal relationship. And you're wearing a dark green now jumper. And I'm, <laughs> I'm wearing a green jumper now. So there's, you know, everyone has, you know, favourite colours and combinations of colours. And I think the danger with colour theory sometimes is, you know, I think, I think it needs to be part of, it needs to be established. If you're using colour to establish something, you know, besides warm and cool, you know, warm, you know, warm is optimistic and, and, and cold is, is sad and unenthusiastic. You know, that's a, that's a general thing that works pretty much all of the time. You know, I think, you know, you can sort of play with that as well. And there's no, there's no rules, which is also why I sort of love the medium as well. Mm. Um, and if there are rules, you know, it could be fun, fun to play with them and break them. But I think, you know, if you look at films like Hero, you know, there's, there's, each character has a colour, but it's it's very gently established in the first few acts. And then that colour is used later on to signify, you know, the, the emergence of another character or something like that. And it's 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 played within that way. So if you can actually establish something as a colour and use that for a theme in a film, I think that's when it works its strongest. I think generalizations about colour theory and colour psychology can be a slippery road to go down. Um, personally and for me there's always the element of the material and you know for me grading is a little bit like sculpting as opposed to painting there's 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 what is perfect for the project and the story inside the material and it's about how you get there and for me, the sort of mastery of that is, is getting there in the sort of quickest, cleanest, simplest way. And I think that's that's sort of what you see in, in more senior colorists as well. It's more about creating a space to get there for the material. You know, I think we always need to, as colorists, consider that we're not we're not expressing ourselves as artists through the material because the material's already been made by someone else. Yeah. Um, and I think that's an important sort of distinction to make. You know, I think I think what we do is artistic, but I don't think colorists are artists. I think we're designers. Um, and there's actually I was watching a documentary with Tinker Hatfields, the shoe designer. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, he's an extremely prolific shoe designer, probably, you know, the, the top of his field. And he actually written down a little quote that I keep around. Let me see if I can find it. Um, but he summed up the sort of difference between art and design. Um, and I hadn't really thought about it that much, but when he said this, it really resonated with me. And he said, I think there's art involved in design, but to me, I don't think of it as art. My perception of art is that it's really the ultimate self-expression from a creative individual. For me as a designer, it is not the ultimate goal to become self-expressive. The end goal is to solve a problem for someone else and hopefully it looks great to someone else and it's cool to someone else. This is how design works for me. And that, 
I think that's important to think, you know, when we're talking about colour and psychology and what we do as colourists, for me, the starting point has to always be the material. So my approach in everything that I grade is I pretty much start everything from scratch based on material in front. Um, yeah, and it's, it's sort of, as, he, as he's explaining it, though, you can imagine that you're designing something for someone else where like art is for you is the self-expression that you've thought about something. And it's, it's from a personal point of view where obviously a design is can be personal, but it's it's definitely you're thinking more of the person's going to be enjoying the, the design than actually you getting your personal satisfaction from it, where art is from your own satisfaction of your own kind of like emotional consciousness. And I think that maybe but that's that's the difference. And I think if you are servicing as a designer, you're just adding on to something for someone else. Yeah, I think there's, you know, there's a there's an element of self-expression in the decisions that we make and how for we sure. get there. For sure. Um, but for me, I know when I think about colour and colour grading and what I like and what I don't like, it's very much dependent on on the starting point to some extent. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. there are some beautiful grades that I would really like on something that would be absolutely horrible and the wrong thing to do on, on something else. So for me, it's it's not only subjective, it's relative to what you're trying to do. And it, there needs to be that sort of harmony between story and emotion and the colour. And yeah. when, you, when you don't have that harmony, no matter how, look it good, how good it looks technically or how good a grade it is, if it's not right for the project or the story, that's when things that's where it's really hard to be a creative person as a, as a designer because you've well, got maybe... You're clients not. really wanting I mean as an example we were I was working oh, I probably shouldn't say it. I was working on a supermarket a supermarket supermarket yeah. Christmas campaign yeah you could say you don't say the brand just say you're working on a project <laughs> I was yeah. working on a project working on a project and the brief to the DP and director was to make to make it warm and cozy these were Christmas commercials there was food involved for sure for sure you know it's dim tungsten lighting candle lights and Christmas tree lights for sure this is, it was yeah. all nice and warm and lovely and at some point in probably I don't know when was it October maybe November that all the stores for this supermarket got fitted out with all these purple pink and blue jewel tones for Christmas so that's so that creative campaign change right yeah yeah, and then all of a sudden they wanted these these colors. whole jewel colours in the commercials. But 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 was the was the creative signed off for this warm Christmassy sort of thing, and then they changed internally, and then obviously the comms team and the creative team had a discussion, and they were like, okay, yeah, it makes sense, yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> there we were, you know, directed DP and I had. Uh, to a day together before the agency came in and we made it made it lovely we added some of the cool tones where we could so if there were cool colors we brought those out if there was something that was red we made it slightly more pink and we were we were gently massaging those colors in and then on the second day the agency came in wanted to push it further we pushed it further we said this is I think as far as as we can go and then day three comes around and I get an email letting me know that the DOP and director won't be attending the grade. It's just the agency because they want to push it. They want to push it further. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm getting emails from the director saying, I've been kicked out 
please don't fuck it up too much and getting like all of this but it all came from you know it, it wasn't looking at what we'd shot and making it the best it could be it was it needs to be like this let's yeah. make it like this and that that's a really challenging day as a colorist because we always want to be you know somewhat representative of the material true we want to enhance things you know we want to sculpt things this is the equivalent of sculpting a you know a beautiful sculpture and then getting some crazy glue and a bit of marble to stick something yeah. on and try and make yeah, it look yeah. like it belongs so yeah there's, there's there's challenges in that that's for sure i've definitely been in those situations where something gets signed off and then they have an epiphany and then they decide to go into a different creative direction you're a bit like i'm trying to mold two different worlds together that technically don't go together but it was the way it was shot was for a certain reason and now we're going into a different direction and somehow you've got to make it work i um, mean and, and that and that comes from your skilled uh, experience just go okay well i know how much i can push it but still still keeping the the original sort of like creative idea but still servicing the client because at the end of the day the client is paying you to do your job essentially so what yeah. happened after the process you pushed it as far as it possibly could go and then i'm assuming it got signed off and stuff yeah it got it got signed off it went out there i mean it, it was quite nice I, lo I looked at it the other day it wasn't as, as bad as i thought i think i had a sort of you need to send bit... me afterwards after the zoom call can you send <laughs> yeah. me the link i'd love to know see what it was um <laughs> it still came across quite classy i think in the online they pushed some colors a little bit further mm -hmm. uh when they were finishing up the, the project which you know, for me, it's a little bit, it's a little bit of a, a, a no, no, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't like it if a, if a flame up sort of changes my work, I'd much rather they came back for those tweaks. But so for, for people who don't know what the difference is between a flame up and colors, can you tell, tell people? <laughs> so a, a flame up does all the, the online work, which is basically preparing it um, for broadcast, adding the titles, adding the sound, adding the clock. Um, adding the legals, any animation, graphics, cleanup, you know, 2D VFX, if a, a boom comes in shot, if they need to get rid of a license plate. That's what the, the Flame guys do, and they, they sort of deliver the, the broadcast deliverable. Mm -hmm. um, so really, you know, in an ideal world, the colorist does all the color and the Flame Op does all the graphics work. So why would a Flame artist touch a colorist work, though? They shouldn't be allowed to, should they? Well, it's it's not their project and it's not my project. It's the agency's, and you know, if the agency asks them to do that, they they kind of have to do that. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so, I, what, so what I'd love to know is how did cheats come about? And firstly, where did the name come from? And did you ultimately want to set up your own company? How did it happen? I've been freelancing for a few years. I was sort of permalance at a place called Tate Post. Uh, did a couple of features there, including Ill Manners and Estranged. Got a few lucky breaks there, did like a Coca-Cola Jamaica ad, did a short film for a, an unknown director at the time called Jonathan Entwistle, who <laughs> went on to do The End of the Fucking World. And Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm not okay with this. So, you know, some, some, some good key relationships were, were, were built in that basement. Um, and then... I, yeah, I kind of saved up. I set up a little color grading suite in a spare room at my parents' house for about a year out in Kings Langley, convinced enough clients to get a 25 minute train ride out of London to come to, come to my suite in the, in the village. <laughs> um, pick them up from the station in my beaten up old 
um, a hatchback. Um, established sort of good relationships, grading in Kings Langley, saved up a bit more money and then moved into what is now Colour 2 at Cheat. Um, got really busy, realised I probably needed someone to, to help me out. Um, and I met Joseph Bicknell, who's, who's now at Company 3, and started sending some work his way. I liked what I saw and then invited him to move into a second office. And we... It was it was already cheat at that point, and then and then things sort of started growing. I had a producer as well, um, and then it's sort of organically grown, um, and we've had some some great colorists here, and and continue to expand. And I think now we've got eight colorists available on the roster. Wow! So it's so you didn't initially know that you wanted to have your own company. It just kind of happened, I assume. Yeah, I mean, I. I I did enjoy freelancing, but there was an element, there was a glass ceiling in terms of the type of work that I could do as, a, as an independent outfit. And I realized I was either going to need to go work at a post house and work my way up as a, mm -hmm. as a junior, um, sort of take a step back in order to take a step forward mm -hmm. um, or start building my own post house. And I decided to do the latter. And it's been it's been really tough. It's been a tough, a really tough five years. I mean, you know, things have been great. We're, you know, we've we've been in sort of top ten lists for the last few years. Been nominated at the UKBAs, British yeah. Airways. All of that, all of that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, the, one of the reasons I sort of went freelance was to have a, a sort of better work life balance and and be in control of that and it's nigh on impossible to do that as a, as a company owner with 20, 20 full-time staff. So it's, it's, it's become an interesting journey of, of trying to make that work, not letting it become all encompassing, which is, is hard when it's your baby. Um, Joseph left two years ago. So I became the only MD and owner. So there's a sort of, there's a level of burden and yeah. responsibility there to, to not only the staff, but the company and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get that balance right still, but still not quite there yet. So it's, yeah, it's been, it's, it's, it's been fun, but it's also been pretty tough. What would probably be the best advice or you'd give like a tip to someone else who's wanting to have their own company, maybe in this profession or somewhere else then? Don't grow too quickly and make sure you grow it in a way that allows you to, to build in that work-life balance. Mm. Otherwise, it will start to take control and you'll either need to to let some parts fail to have that balance or you'll become a workaholic like i've been for the last few years <laughs> yeah there's a, a, i was listening to a really interesting uh clubhouse conversation with um mark who is the co-founder of netflix and it sort of reminds me of this this conversation that we're having now about the work-life balance and he just made a kind of conscious rule that on Tuesdays after five o'clock, no one was working. And even if there was a massive, massive dilemma in the Netflix thing, he said that that could be, that could be solved before 5 p.m. And as weeks and months went on, he said there was fewer disasters happening at Monday at five o'clock than there was at the beginning. And because people get into the habits, the people get into that routine that five o'clock happens, even if there is a massive dilemma, it's not gonna be solved until Wednesday morning. And it's that thing about balance is that it's like making sure that's what you were saying beforehand about making sure that's 
apparent at the beginning of the company that this is what this is what we're going was what we're aiming for rather than you get so busy then you have to like sort of backtrack a bit to then find that balance again yeah which is kind of what we've been doing the, the last six <laughs> months or so um we're production are now trialing a four-day work week which is quite exciting mm-hmm. um and I've yeah I've tried reduced down my grading days to four days a week so I've at least got a day to run the run run the business basically yeah yeah um, but before that, it was just weekends and evenings, which which definitely took its toll. And you know, it's it, it's hard. There's there's stages of growth, I think, for small companies where you'll be doing a lot more work that you have to do because you can't quite justify hiring someone to help you with it. So there's always going to be those periods of of busyness, and it's it's really hard for me as well because color grading is so much of who I am in my life is not just my job. Like it's it's also my like color, color science and research and development on that side is almost a hobby for me. Like I don't I don't kind of feel I don't feel like I'm working when I'm working on R and D or, or or color science stuff. Um, and you know I don't I don't really have any hobbies. Um, so it's quite dangerous for me because my hobby is my work so that I, I would try to avoid that if possible and I'm kind of working towards changing that in my life and actually yeah. having having something else to sort of focus on because it used to be travel um but I haven't I haven't really been able to travel as much as I as, as much as I wanted really yeah because I think that's my next question then because obviously COVID has been part of our lives for about a year two years now we are nearly two years and you as a colorist spend most of your time in a studio you it's not like a director or a dp you travel around and you see different things you're basically confined to your space because you need the right environment and that sort of thing how has it been for you in and also your role as as an as an owner the founder and nurturing and being empathetic to people's mental health at this moment in time being that they are normally inside but now they're inside inside because <laughs> they can't really do much as well yeah it's been it's been really tough um it's been really tough keeping that sort of team morale going remotely um without it being sort of super cheesy and forced like it's really hard it's really yeah. hard to like bring people together via zoom in like not a very arranged fun kind of way yeah <laughs> Um, so that, that's been challenging. I've, you know, I've tried to sort of have personal catch-ups with people and sort of go about it that way as opposed to the, the whole team together. Um, trying to sort of meet up when we can um, and just sort of send presents and gifts to each other and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, just trying to sort of find that, that balance here at Cheat in terms of working hours and stuff like that, sort of increasing the amount of time off in lieu that people get. Um, we've got quite a generous holiday policy as well. Um, and now the four day work week we're trialing in production. If that works well, we, we could extend that to other departments. Amazing. It's a little bit trickier with the, a little bit trickier with the, with the colorists and the assists because it obviously reduces the amount of hours they can, they can do their creative work. Um, but yeah, trying to trying to work on all of that and make sure that everyone feels um, like they have autonomy, like they have control over, you know, when, when and how they take breaks. You know, I'm, I'm very much of the belief that if you can get everything done 
in whatever way you want, that's fine. That's sort of up to up to you to manage that. Yeah, like flexing outwards. Like, because it, is, it, is it true? I don't know if it, this is possible in colorist world, but like you, after a certain amount of hours, you become less productive. And so they, I mean, but science tells us that the more you can do short incremented sessions, the more productive you will be. So if you can do it in four hours, that's the most, that's the best part possible. But let's say that you, your colorists do four days. Could, does it possible to make that four days and the fifth day is obviously just going to be more, it's just going to be more work. Rather I, than I, I, I don't, I don't think you'd see similar gains because, because it's so focused and real time and live. And normally you've got clients, you know, sat behind your shoulder. Mm. There's not a lot of procrastination that goes on in a grading suite when a colorist is grading. It is, it's almost, I mean, when you talk to, to colorists about it, it, it can almost be a sort of trance state, um, you know, regularly, you know, producers are sending emails to the colorist while they're grading and they're like, I can't get hold of, you know, this colorist or whatever. Or they might ignore the odd phone call because they're in the, they're in the zone, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, I don't, I don't think, that you would get the same efficiency gains as you would other jobs. Yeah. Uh, but, and you also couldn't, I don't think you could charge differently either. Is, is the yeah, main yeah. Thing I don't think you'd be like, oh yeah, our colorist only works four days a week. So, so the grade rate, double. So the grade yeah. rate is now 20% higher. I don't think, I don't think that would work. So no. there's certain limitations when, when things are sort of charged out hourly. Um, yeah, yeah. Sort of the job. You know, if we were putting on on a jobs basis, potentially, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, some some pretty big obstacles to that. Brilliant. So, so as we come to a close of our episode, what I love to do with my guests, I love to do a give back. And I know you've always said that one quote beforehand, but is there anything like a mantra or the way that you would like to live your life, or the way you do live your life, that you would give back to people, or like even if it's something that you you thought about when you were younger, or something advice that someone gave you or it might be a film that you really loved or a picture that was really amazing or a book is there anything you'd give back to someone yeah i mean i'd say don't wait and live now good one <laughs> good one yeah there's a there's a book called just now i think is it yeah i think it's called just now or i think it's called i think it's called that i read it recently it's about sometimes we sometimes put things on the back burner rather than actually just make a decision to do it right this moment, because there's no better time than the present moment, is it? No. And I, I had something that I've, I've definitely learned sort of the hard way, you know, there was sort of long periods where, where work and the company has, has come first for the last few years. And I'm, I'm only just now starting to sort of exit that. Um, and there, there's an element of regret for having sort of lived that way, but it, it, it's tricky because, you know, in this industry where we're also hungry for recognition and appreciation and awards and stuff like that. So obviously the more you work, the more of that stuff you get. And it's kind yeah. of an addictive, it's a thing that I became, you know, pretty addicted to. Um, and now that I'm sort of coming out of that, it's, it's, it's interesting to sort of look back and think, I wonder, I wonder what I could have done, you know, in my personal life um, outside of work these last few years. Um, and now I'm trying to sort of, you know, adjust the, the company and how I live. Um, but I'm definitely, definitely not there yet. <laughs> still on my, still on my journey, I guess you'd call it. Yeah. I mean, we all are. Though. I mean, 
you, every, people can't see it, but your place looks very cozy. So I can understand why you just keep working there. Cause that sofa at the back, I'm like, I could definitely just stay there and just watch you work. Yeah, it's a, it's a big sofa, isn't it? Yeah, it's a very big sofa. Very, very big sofa. And you've got the plant in the background. It's just the whole mood of the whole space that you're in now is so relaxing. It just, I can totally understand why, why you would get into a meditative trance. Yeah, and we've got really good coffee and snacks as well. <laughs> oh, I'm sold. I keep saying, I'm, 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 I'm waiting for my colorist this week uh, for this uh, film that I've just done. And I'm, I, I only wish that I could be with him in the space. So I'm just not sitting in my kitchen. Like I really enjoy, I think everyone well, enjoys that sort of one-to-one -one situation. You have a cup of coffee, you chill out for a bit. I think, I think that's really the only reason why when things open up, we'll, we'll start having more clients back in. I think it's less, less necessary than it used to be with the remote working stuff, but people, people just want to be out the agency or the production office of their house. Like if they can be here and served and waited on and, have yep. a nice lunch like why why wouldn't you why would you want to sit in an agency and look at something remotely do you know what I mean so yeah. you know I think that's a big part of the draw and that's you know attended grading I think will always be a thing yeah yeah well I want to say thank you so much for coming on 360 yourself it's been an absolute pleasure and I'm a massive fan of your work and I'm so grateful that you give us the time on the show to be here um so again thank you everyone for listening if you do love what we're talking about please do tweet us please whatsapp us whatsapp me personally say i love your episode um also on instagram also on apple Podcasts. rate and comment it is really important for us if you really do love and resonate with what our guests are saying as well and they give back please do let us know so again thank you so much toby for all your time and your energy and your love for the show thank you very much it's been a pleasure This is 360 Yourself and I'm Jamie Neal. Thank you very much for taking a moment to listen to our wonderful guests. Please subscribe to our podcast to access all our brilliant guest episodes. They are released every Sunday at 12pm. We are available on all listening platforms, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Google Podcasts and Castro. You can also find us on Instagram at 360 underscore yourself, Twitter at yourself360 and our host at Jamie Neal JN. Thank you for listening.